1: For some
0: trouble. Something's turning my spider sense off. Spider sense
1: is tingling. I blew my spider sense. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider Man podcast where we dive into every Spider Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. I mean, is your spider sense tingling? It's telling me there's a rocket taking off without me. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on 4 eyedradiocom and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And if you're looking for all things Walloping Web Snappers in one place, check out our brand new website, wallopingwebsnappers.com. Bit of business, baby. We've got Word Snapper's words. We do.
0: Those were and hard.
1: To work they were in. so hard. I, I just have to take a moment to praise Gemma Nicole for being like the absolute master of Word Snapper's words because they're always so challenging, which makes it fun, but so challenging. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. I mean, it's what we what we ask for. Yeah. So it works. It's definitely. And it's
1: the point. It, 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 it exercises our creative juices. So I do love it. I love yeah. it a lot. I haven't. I
0: haven't. <laughs> We haven't gotten to the point where I could have been able to, like, we, I haven't listened to the episode back yet because it's not done yet. So I don't know yeah. how it plays out or if it's <laughs> how obvious that it sounds. I remember it being hard and awkward. So it probably sounds awkward. But
1: <laughs> we'll So <see>. great job. <laughs> we appreciate it. That's, that's what we're really here for.
0: <laughs> Those words submitted by Gemma Nicole were, they're eating spaghetti without eggnog?
1: A very natural human phrase, didn't yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. I do like both of those things, just usually individually.
1: <laughs> I wonder, there's got to be some way. You you could make it work. You'd have to make sort of like a, uh, almost like a not savory spaghetti and do sort of some, some sort of like weird sweet pasta type situation, which I'm confident you could make work if you incorporated probably like apples and cinnamon and whatnot nothing super duper sweet but you you could you,
0: you, you could do it yeah but that seems like it could get like if you're eating it that with eggnog it would get like overly well, sweet you know like i'm talking about sweet. like
1: the eggnog would probably be incorporated into whatever kind of sauce you're oh, using oh, and it would oh, be like oh. a probably like a small portion type thing hmm. not like a full meal you know hmm. i think hmm. there's something that could be done there
0: actually <laughs> okay um you know put a pin in that yeah maybe uh yeah. We'll experiment with that. Interesting. Possible. <laughs> Interesting. I possible. I mean, eggnog could be sauce. But yeah, I could see it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's stop talking not about that. And- <laughs> <laughs> but
1: it could, it, could, it, it could be in there. So this is not a cooking show, however. Uh, it is a Spider-Man cartoon show. So let's talk about a Spider-Man cartoon. We are back with more Spider-Man Unlimited. We are quickly approaching the end of the entire series because there are only 13 episodes. And this is episode nine. Uh, if this episode and spoiler, we've already watched the next episode, are any indication, we are in for a stretch of episodes that are each a doozy on their own uh before we get to the finale, because this one is bonkers.
0: Uh yeah, there's a lot. Uh there's a lot ha- happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot uh-huh. happening. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I, uh, it's uh this is a hard this is gonna be not a hard one to talk about. It's going to be a hard I, hard one to determine, like, what my feelings are about it because I don't – there's just a lot. <laughs>
1: my – I mean, we'll get into uh, – I don't even know if we'll get into why, so I'll just say it now. My feelings on this episode are that the story it's telling is one that I really enjoy. It just isn't serviced by the fact that it's all being told in one episode. Yeah. This is like – an arc of a comic book that would be at least three issues, but probably more and i I like it. It's like a side quest episode kind of kind of kind of uh and uh, I dig that uh it just it it all goes by too fast because it is unfortunately. A one-parter, which is not a thing. It's just a single episode.
0: Yeah. it's. I think it's very reflective of pretty much the consistent problems with the show, which is, like, really great concepts and, like, core stories. Mm -hmm. But then just, like, kind of mangled execution, uh, mostly because of, like, weird pacing and trying to do too much in weird places and focusing too much on things that don't need to be focused on – I I think I was more I was I was really disappointed in this episode because a lot of the stuff that I liked I really 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 liked a lot and then was like really bummed at how it consistently kept turning out at every corner mm-hmm. so yeah,
1: yeah. well yeah. this is this is an episode where I, I want to know so much more and I think that's that's exactly what we keep running into is like I just want to know more about these things can we spend a little bit more time on these things so yeah. Uh, again, I'd rather have that than not care. So, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> sure. All I could do while I was rewatching this episode was think of, like, how would I write this in a way that could be spanned over the course of multiple entries, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Um, on either a TV show or a comic book or just a book or whatever the case may be, because it just feels like a longer story. It doesn't feel like a 24 minute
0: story. Definitely. So.
1: Let's get into what that story is. Um, This is Spider-Man Unlimited uh, Season 1, Episode 9, and it is called Sustenance. And this is a synopsis per IMDb. The goblin returns and figures out that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. They are both kidnapped by rejects, uh, failed bestials created by the high evolutionary. They attempt to sneak into one of the evolutionary's hideouts so Spider-Man can escape, pretending to help the rejects, which we will talk extensively about at the end of this episode, I
0: suspect. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. The original air date for this episode was March 3rd, 2001. It was written by Robert Gregory Brown and Larry Brody. We've talked about both of those guys already. They wrote uh, the last couple of episodes, so just listen to the last couple of podcasts and we've talked about them.
1: Bam. Major characters introduced or spotlighted in this, we have a character named Lester who is a horse bestial, and he's voiced by Scott McNeil, who we've already talked about twice now um, as the Vulture and Man-Wolf, just adding to his wonderfully weird and diverse resume by playing yet another character,
0: you can definitely hear Rat Trap in Lester's voice more yeah. than in any other character.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. That's a yes, yes, yes. Because we were saying we couldn't hear it uh, in in previous mm-hmm. iterations or just envision it uh, in other characters that he portrays. Yeah. We also get uh, Alice and Prima, who are both bestials that are part of this rejects group that we'll get to Uh, and both of them are voiced by the same person they're they're voiced by kathleen barr in addition to all the cartoons we've mentioned over and over (laughs) except robocop Mm. she was not in robocop weird she is the voice of dot matrix in reboot kevin in ed ed and eddie botanica in beast machines and recently queen chrysalis and trixie in my little pony and of course many 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 others wow And then finally, uh, this is, I feel like mentioning this more based on the voice actor than the character, but Lester starts the episode with a buddy named Larry, and that character is some sort of like
0: rat or weasel-like bestial. It's like a weasel ferret kind of thing, because he's got a really long long neck, like he's long Mm -hmm. like a ferret is, but he does look more like a weasel, I think.
1: Yeah, but I think he has a naked tail, which is confusing. Well, they're um, all
0: kind. Well, they're rejects, yes, I guess. So they're kind yes. of sometimes they're like weird fusions. So yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. talk about that. <laughs>
1: well, Larry is voiced by Sam Vincent, uh, who is the voice of Double D from Ed, Ed, and Eddie, huh. uh, the voice of Steel from Max Steel, Green Goblin in Marvel Superhero Adventures, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But a guy who who has had lead roles since this for sure. So. Mm. Yeah, figure figure he's worth mentioning. I yeah. imagine, I, I could see a world where he's brought up again. Well, he'll have to be brought up again when we cover uh, superhero adventures, but.
0: Oh yeah, we'll definitely yeah. do that at some point.
1: Yup, yup, yup. <laughs> so the Rejects, those are the ones who are introduced in this episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have a lot to talk about with them, probably. <laughs> 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 There's a lot to talk about in a lot of these, so maybe we should just talk about it right now. Do it. All right. So the episode opens at the Yamada Jones household where Naoko is on the phone with Shane's father. Again, the creepy father in the shadows, Um, Mm -hmm. which it's. Funny that they still keep him in the shadow is because we've seen his face in flashbacks. So I don't really know what that's about, but it does make him look creepy, I guess. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, (laughs) It's a little weird. Yeah, (laughs) But it's, it's sort of the same sort of conversation that, that we've heard before between them. She's reiterating that the decision to allow Peter to stay with her and Shane is her decision alone. He can't like force her to kick him out um, just because he's like jealous and being weird and creepily overprotective. Peter does, however, overhear the conversation and he considers to himself leaving, not just Naoko's home, but actually, like, the entire planet of Counter-Earth. Since, you know, he's feeling guilty about Putting Naoko in a weird spot, even though it's like clearly not at all his fault whatsoever, but he's still feeling guilty about it because Peter Parker's gonna peter. But he also does have that data on the space shuttle's location that he got at the end of the last episode. And that data says that his spaceship is in Atlantic City.
1: Yes, good old New Jersey. Uh, yeah, which we cut right to, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, if you had told me that we were gonna visit New Jersey in this series, I would have said, no
0: way! <laughs> <laughs> By the way, one of the uh, storefronts in, like, the opening when they're just panning through the city is uh, mm-hmm. Expresso, like, ex I know!
1: <laughs> now, here's the question. Do you think that was intentional or a mistake?
0: I think it was intentional because there's a lot of a lot of the store names I feel like had just, like, sort of slightly off spellings to them yeah. that don't seem like they're typos. It would make
1: sense as a store name too because then you're actually you're combining express and espresso yeah yeah so in atlantic city we we don't we don't go right to spider-man in atlantic city but we do go right to atlantic city so we see the scene where there's this large domed high security facility of some kind and that horse beast deal that we mentioned earlier lester and his buddy Freddy are fleeing from that facility on one of the hover steeds that we typically only see the Knights of on While they're flying away, Freddy is super worried that they're going to get caught because if they get caught, he references that they'll be thrown in, quote, that lab or experimented on in some way. And Lester's like, dude, I don't want to get caught either because I don't want to, he says, mop floors for the rest of my life. So we don't really know what's going on in the facility. We just sort of get this idea that, one, they are, in fact, escaping. <laughs> yeah. And two, they're terrified to go back
0: yep, for yep. whatever reason. Yep. That's, uh, that's bad and serious, but what's not bad and serious, uh, is the snail guy that you you see, like when they're showing Atlantic city, did you notice him?
1: I there are so much to notice that I didn't notice him specifically, but there's so much to notice. Did you notice the like octopus head and hands guy?
0: Mm, he was he was hanging out with the snail guy, so you probably oh, were okay. just paying attention to him and didn't notice the Sorry, snail. Sorry, distracted
1: by tentacles.
0: <laughs> I mean the snail guy like had eye stalks, so like oh, it would Lord. the tentacles I all the, the tentacle vibe all kind of like flows in together, I feel like. So
1: You know, I I've mentioned that I actually like the wild diversity that the show has offered. Mm-hmm. I also think that it is a mistake and, and I'm fine with it because I think it accidentally offers a lot to the setting. Mm-hmm. Someday I'll get clarification on whether I'm right about that or not, but it's so funny because each episode seems to have like a, a, almost like a different vibe and take on bestials. Yeah. And in Atlantic city, it's almost like not unbelievable that, the population of bestials might be somewhat different from like region to region. Granted Atlantic city is like down the street from New York city, but whatever, like just the idea that different cities, regions, areas of the planet would have different sort of kinds or, or collections or varied populations of bestials. I love that. Even though I think it's probably an accident. I think it's probably just different animators not having specific, rigid guidelines on what it means to draw a bestial they probably mm-hmm. all just got sort of the same it's sort of human but sort of animal
0: <laughs> right right which yeah i it, it makes it a little fun because you can it's always you're always kind of playing a game of spot the bestial in this show mm-hmm. and then sometimes they're all very cool and sometimes they're just like grotesque yeah. and creepy and, and off-putting um yeah. and it's a whole spectrum which is really cool i think i think the only issue you run into is with, like, you know, the Vulture episode or the Craven episode where they, like, look a little too human. Like, that yeah. that gets weird. And then in this episode when you have bestials that are supposed to be, like, oh, we're the, we're the, we're the mutant rejects. But, like, some of them don't look that much different from the <laughs> the more bizarre-looking bestials that we see that are just hanging out, having fun in the yeah. real world. So it's a little muddy.
1: At the very least, they needed to clarify some of those, like, different... Almost, I guess, social tiers of bestials. Yeah. They always hint at that, but I don't think it was ever an intentional part of the show. Yeah. So it wasn't, it doesn't seem like it was thought about enough. Yeah. But I think the way it needs to be is that, uh, but it's not even clear. We got into it in the Hunter episode. If you go back and listen to the Hunter episode, we talk about what it might mean for these various degrees of animalism, I guess. Mm-hmm and what social issues might come up to that. We don't need to like rehash that whole conversation, but we do get into that. And I, that's definitely, definitely the type of question that I would ask in a hypothetical interview with a creator
0: of the show. Yeah. It's just how much they thought through that stuff. Yeah. Yep. 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 (laughs) So uh, just as Lester and Freddie are reaching the coast a squad of machine men, led by Lady Ursula, brings their hover steed down with laser fire. So, Freddy falls into the water, and he's immediately scooped up by one of the machine men. Uh, but Lester, this is when he starts to get creepy, he falls onto the beach. So, you know, they're going to, like, seize him and capture him back or whatever. But before the machine men can go and retrieve him, a bunch of hands come up from beneath the sand. And, like, he's screaming, like... Oh, you know, it's terrified as he's pulled uh-huh. underground into the sand. And like Lady Ursula is just like, uh, what? And then cut to credits. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's weird. Um, the show has never cared about like what the structural integrity of the entire ground is. <laughs> uh, and at least it's consistent.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Ugh. So, After we get this little cutaway to Atlantic City, uh, which is mostly just like background and informative sort of exposition stuff. Although I will mention, I like the fact that Lady Ursula is in Atlantic City. It feels almost like that's her kind of like jurisdiction almost. Like that's the vibe I got from this episode. Because she's not been present for other things, which this would kind of explain, right? Like she might be brought in for certain things, but maybe she's the knight that's sort of not in charge of Atlantic City, but that's part of her area to patrol. I can't imagine they're all together all the time. Well, that would we check know out.
0: Because yeah, cause, cause I feel like most of the time that we see her, she's usually separated from the rest of the nights. Like, mm-hmm. So that would make sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. I like that.
1: So back in New York City, we see Peter leaving the clinic, and he basically explains, like, I feel like I'm sneaking away. I feel like a little grody about this, but ultimately, like, I got to go find that shuttle. I got to follow these directions that Jameson gave me. Um, And he he makes... I I believe that we are meant to believe that he is making the decision to leave. Like, this is not, like, a curiosity thing. It seems like he feels guilty, not about sneaking out in the middle of the night, but guilty about sneaking out and not really saying anything and just, like, up and disappearing. So at this point in the episode, I believe... That he is leaving Counter Earth, or is yeah. or is open to the possibility based on what he finds. Yeah, he doesn't get very far though.
0: <laughs> it's just uh, that's a th- that I mean it's it's a bigger conversation I think. It's just I well I, I think it's better to talk about it when you see his whole Tizzle journey in this episode. Yeah. Just, just his mindset for leaving Counter Earth at this point is um, just to
1: just a to lot. track bits and pieces along the way of of maybe what they think we think along the way. So at this yeah. point that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So it doesn't get very far though. Just just when he steps out into the alley he's met by a familiar face, the goblin. Good old goblin. Yeah. And cool. it's funny I, I didn't real like it, it didn't click to me at first. I mean it, it clicked quickly enough, but it didn't click to me at first that Peter's not Spider-Man and that goblin wouldn't know who he was. So it was like that one-sided knowledge thing where Peter is familiar with goblin but goblin is not yet familiar with peter yep Yep. <laughs> it's yeah. just like i wasn't thinking about it yeah uh, so the next yeah. part was kind of fun because it it shouldn't have surprised me but it like kind of did a little bit
0: <laughs> yeah it's fun I, this whole this whole little sequence is kind of cool because yeah so basically goblin shows up while peter's in an alley um, and just like immediately just starts pelting pumpkin bombs at him <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> and granted He's kind of throwing them like around him. So it's, I feel like it's pretty clear. And I think it's said explicitly like later on that it seems like it's more of an intimidation tactic than anything else. He's not, he's not trying to blow Peter up explicitly. Um, He's just kind of throwing pumpkin bombs at him, claims to be running him out of the neighborhood because apparently he knows that Peter is undocumented and unmonitored. And as a result, not to be trusted. Which Um, checks
1: out. Yeah. He fancies himself like the defender of this neighborhood. We got that from his first episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we know that he has a connection to Naoko, obviously. So, like, whether he's her husband, which is clearly what they're kind of trying to lead us to believe, or he's not, whether he is or isn't, which is still not to be been confirmed, but I feel like the show wants you to yeah. just assume that he's her husband, right?
1: Yeah. Um, not confirmed. Important to note, not confirmed. So anything could technically happen, but you and I are both on the same page that, like, that's what's happening, right? Like that's a hundred percent what's happening. I don't, I, or if, not a hundred percent, but ninety nine percent what's happening. If
0: they were going to pull a twist out of the rug and just be like Goblin is just working with her husband, oh, okay. I think that's possible, but I don't think it's likely. You know, I
1: would like that better.
0: I do too, because I think this episode kind of does Goblin dirty. To be honest, he really kind of sucks bit. in this episode in a way that he didn't in his la- in his original episode, like his characterization is kind of wonky because it's sort of like, I guess it sort of lines up with the characterization he had in his first episode. Like you can kind of rationalize it, but it's like, it's, it doesn't, he doesn't come out in a good light in this one. And I wish they didn't, do that but uh, we'll we'll talk about it later because it, it just kind of gets progressively worse as the episode goes along honestly <laughs> he's still fun though at least and he's fun in the scene because yeah like like you said his his uh his his rationale is valid for why he wouldn't trust peter yeah even outside of the whole, like, Naoko business. Um, but he uh, specifically demands that Peter stay away from Dr. Yamada Jones. So Peter manages to escape by, like, breaking the metal bars on a window, and then he, like, uses a trash can lid to, like, shield himself and uh, repel one of the pumpkin bombs, which distracts Goblin so he can jump into the window, and Goblin thinks that he's, like, gone. When in reality, Peter is actually broken into, like, an old woman's apartment as she's getting out of the shower, and she screams, terrified, and it's really awkward and bad (laughs) it's like a it's
1: it's it's a funny scene for literally no reason but i still laughed and thought it was very funny uh what's not funny is peter just like destroyed this woman's
0: like home security (laughs) yep yep because she had barred windows for a reason obviously Uh so (laughs) and he just Uh destroyed them. I do, I guess I do appreciate that they're acknowledging that the property damage does have a consequence because previously they just blow shit up all the time and no one cares. In this case, it's sort of like, yeah, (laughs) And, and this one, it's sort of like, Oh, yeah, you even your what seems to be just, like, minor property damage to save your own butt, actually, like, kind of traumatize an old lady, it looks like. So uh, <laughs> not a great yeah. look, buddy. <laughs> and then he just dips out. <laughs> he literally <laughs> runs out the door. <laughs>
1: yep, yep. So Peter, at this point, believes the goblin has left. Um, I don't know why he would think that necessarily, um, but he does. So he leaves the woman. Well, I guess he leaves the woman's house because he's broken into somebody's house. But he <laughs> leaves the woman's house, and because he thinks goblin is gone, he proceeds to like duck into an alley. He suits up and then pops back out of the alley as Spider Man. However. Regardless of whether the Goblin is, like, right there or not, Goblin has apparently set up a bunch of security cameras around the neighborhood, and he catches Peter going into that alley as Peter and coming out of that alley as Spider-Man. He even says explicitly, like, I put these up in Naoko and Shane's neighborhood. Good thing. So Mm -hmm. he has decided at this point Peter Parker is Spider-Man. We obviously know that to be true. So big uh uh-oh.
0: Yeah, did um, so I know Disney Plus like just spoils this right in the one line description? Did you notice that, or was this a surprise to you when you were watching it? I didn't read the description, so okay, I actually. So, this, so you were you were actually like the reveal was happening to you for you in real time.
1: Yeah, I did not know. Yeah, I didn't know that that Goblin was going to find out he was Peter until it happened here. That's what you're asking, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, okay. I was just wondering because
0: it's that's kind of a wild twist to happen. And, and not who I would have expected to
1: figure it out first. I was rooting – I was like very – since you brought it up, very Team Shane on like who figures out who Spider-Man is first. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted.
0: <laughs> and it's kind of like a casual – uh, kind of like almost a casual unmasking like he figures it out so quickly and so simply like he just has a camera around where Peter mm-hmm. where Peter Parker was and there mm-hmm. you go like that's it
1: I do think there's an asterisk on that because there's a conversation later that I'll take not issue with but uh, I'll I'll criticize Peter but for now Goblin yeah. just knows that Peter is, is Spider-Man <laughs> yep yep yep, yep. <laughs> yeah I had no idea
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I was just wondering because it is, it is just kind of a surprising thing to happen uh, at mm-hmm. this point although I guess like the hunter figured it out and then they like undid that at the end of the episode. Um, That was
1: also weird though because the hunter like didn't care. Like it was weird to have him figure it out and then not care.
0: That's true. And it's a bigger deal for Goblin to figure it out because obviously he has a beef with Peter Parker and a relationship with Spider-Man. So like that is actually like it's a smart move to amp up the drama to have Goblin figure it out. Oh, it it,
1: immediately increased the tension for sure. I was like, or the stakes rather.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that they they did that in the first season. Like that's just, it's a really cool unexpected move to do that Mm -hmm. um whether they use it to their best ability remains to be seen uh we'll go into that
1: (laughs) one reason i wish this was more than one episode (laughs) Yep.
0: (laughs) yep So <laughs> back at the dome facility, uh, Lady Ursula reports to an angry high evolutionary. Is he ever not angry? I feel like it seems like he's always angry, but he's there in person. He's not in a, sc- in a screen for once. Yeah. So yeah. that's actually kind of a big deal. This is like the first time we've it's seen a him in deal. his full, weird, spiky costume mm-hmm. that looks very heavy.
1: Very heavy. He is He is basically what he has portrayed on camera. So that wasn't fake. That's what he looks like. He is buffer than I thought he was, but he's still a very big boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. One thing I noticed, because I actually had just re-watched the first six episodes of this show oh. for literally no reason, he, he looks different. Like significant, not significant is probably implying too much, but he looks pretty different than when he first arrived. Uh, There's that flashback of when he gets to counter Earth. Mm -hmm. He has modified himself pretty significantly.
0: It's supposedly been 50 years. So like that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And obviously, you know, he hasn't aged at all, obviously. So like he's doing something to
1: himself. Weird change. His mustache is much smaller. Oh,
0: weird choice guy. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Because he has a very specific style of beard that is like, full beard but small mustache which is like a real thing that that, it's like a real beard pattern Yeah, but it's not the type of beard pattern that typically changes but in his case it used to be
0: a much fuller mustache. Well, you know everybody goes through life changes and tries out new things so hey, Hey, you know. It looks good. It's a good beard. Feeling yourself, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Let's see.
1: So he is angry. In this case he's specifically angry about some sort of unnamed group that lives underground and is presumably sheltering Lester. That's what he's kind of like, are you kidding me? Like, how did he get away? Oh, he got away. There must be, it must be those that I don't even know what he calls them. Cretans, I think underground or something. But when Lady Ursula is like, "Well, let's let's go get him then. Like, if that's where he is, if that's where you think he is, let's figure this out." He's like, "No, no, 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 no. I have more important things to do."
0: Yeah, I don't understand. So, like, he's so the implication is that he knows that there are rejects living underground and just chooses to not do anything about it.
1: Yeah. It, well, it's weird because what we'll what we'll learn is that what he's working on is something that this facility is always doing. So I don't quite understand why. Something he's always working on takes precedent over something that seems to be unique. Like people aren't constantly escaping the facility. So I think he should be more worried. Lady Ursula definitely is correct here. Yeah. Um, And we don't really get a reason for why the high evolutionary should think he is other than just ego uh, and not taking Lady Ursula seriously enough. I guess so. Um, He's a weirdo guess is fair but we it's it's hard because we don't have a ton of information about the high evolutionary as an actual personality we Mm -hmm. just have him as like the mysterious big bad you know
0: right and yeah it's it's weird because it's also like he's sort of like this king god like figure with them Mm -hmm. in their world that everyone serves like there's he literally has knights but then like He's very active in this facility. Like it, we see him later, later, like literally operating machinery and doing the experiments himself. So yeah, that like,
1: surprised me. He's a
0: very hands-on middle manager kind of person too, which is, is – it's confusing. And I guess you could chalk it up to an ego thing because if he is like a scientist first, um, mm-hmm. just one with a big ego, then like he's doing these experiments himself and everyone else is kind of at his beck and call. But yeah, I don't, I don't get the high evolutionary. He's, I, don't, I don't understand him. I don't fully
1: understand the high evolutionary, but I think he's not far away from us understanding him. I actually think it would only take very, very minor tweaks for us to get it. Sure. Even in this situation, I think if if all they did was clarify that what he was doing was important or, or different than what they're going to explain later... I I could have been
0: fine yeah. with what was going on. Yeah, I think the problem is that we, we learn that what he's currently working on isn't anything different than what he's been working yeah. on the entire time. And that's what's yeah. weird about it, um, right. which I think is a – it's it's a writing thing because the exposition for how everything works later on is by way of seeing him do these experiments. But then as a result, that means the only experiments that he's doing that day are the same things that he does every other day, which then – messes up this whole scene where he has more important things to do supposedly. So, right. Something that actually right. would have probably been solved if this was like a two-parter or something. So, yeah, it would have been solved
1: with more time. It also could have been solved with a little bit of clarification based on when we do get that exposition. Cuz yeah. the exposition, the exposition is really what makes this argument not make sense.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: So, Spider-Man does finally get to Atlantic City, but we get this cool but unnecessary but cool <laughs> Sequence of him like jumping on hover vehicles and like latching onto one and then I don't know, his web is severed or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's a cool yeah. action sequence, but it's like I don't really know why it's there. It's um, it is
0: cool. I mean if they, they just wanna I think it's a it's a cool way to just kind of show off something that you can't yeah. do in any other Spider Man show, which is him like attaching himself to a bunch of flying cars to get somewhere far. I, I don't I don't have a problem with it in 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 theory. I think it just goes on way too long.
1: I think it goes on too long. And I think that it happening at this point in the season is weird. Yeah. Part of that. There's two reasons. I think that that's um, not as weird as I just made it sound. One is that obviously they had no idea that they were only going to get one season. So it's the same thing I've talked about before where it's like my expectation for what you need to get to is entirely based on knowing there's only X number of episodes left and not Mm -hmm. X number of seasons left. Sure. Sure. The other one being I I don't think that the final product of some of these later episodes is out of place, but I do think some of the things that end up in some of these later episodes might have been planned for earlier episodes. And I it feel like It seems like, like this, that, doesn't it? Yeah. It yes. Maybe not as much in this
0: episode. But a little bit in this episode, <laughs> yeah. Because definitely felt, in next week's episode, and definitely in last week. Well, not last the the, the vulture episode, so the week before yeah. last. Definitely in the in the vulture episode too. Felt like that. You know, obviously they were right. They referenced things that happened, like in the continuity, so you know that you're kind of seeing them in order episode order wise, but certain elements and pieces and conversations and scenes like this that you could pick out of this episode and put in another one really does feel like it was cut out of a, a script from like episode three or four.
1: Right. And I can't say that it feels totally out of place because I think if they did rearrange elements or story pieces or particular plot points, they did a good enough job rewriting and smoothing things over and reconnecting things that you couldn't just take this episode and throw it at the beginning of the season sure. or next episode and beginning of the season, the vault, like you couldn't just take them out of, out of where they are and put them somewhere else. You could with the 90s show, you could rearrange those pieces and it would actually make more sense. You'd be doing damage to the season here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are elements where I'm like, was this supposed to be earlier? <laughs> That's kind of what this feels like. Cause it feels like an establishing scene where it's like here's the cool stuff that this guy can do in this setting
0: yeah yeah and i and i guess the reason i put it in this episode is because he's like going to atlantic city which is probably farther than he normally web swings so yeah he wanted to to save on web fluid by hitching a ride on a car so like it makes sense oh yeah but uh but yeah the focus that's put on it and uh and how long it goes on definitely does doesn't feel right in an episode that's already so dense
1: fun thing about when he gets to atlantic city he's like I'm not sure what I'm looking for. And then like sees this massive domed building and is like, I think I'm looking for that. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> and he's not wrong. Cause he also, he, he notes that there's like a lot of security and stuff like that, but it's just the funniest thing. He like happens to land right near it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because, like, what was on the CD then? Did the CD just have one word of text that said the spaceship is in Atlantic City and that's it? Like, because it doesn't (laughs) seem like he knows anything more specific than that. And if that was the case, it's sort of like... You kind of might have lucked out a lot, but because other, you know, if it if it wasn't for the giant dome in Atlantic City, <laughs> how would you? What would you do? Like, what was gonna be yeah. your next step?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. One thing worth pointing out is that before arriving, I think his spider sense goes off once or twice based on like traffic and stuff, or that's kind of how he explains it. When he arrives in Atlantic City, it goes off again, and this time it's because the Green Goblin or just the Goblin yep. shows up. Um, And he notes, like, oh, that's why my spider sense has been going off. Mm -hmm. That could have been a stronger thing, but it's fine. It's not that important.
0: (laughs) It's fine. It's
1: fine.
0: Yeah. So Goblin's there. Um, He's showing up and confronting him, like, as he has been because he's been following him. And a hover vehicle with two raccoon bestial guards demanding they vacate the area also shows up. Uh, They're boyfriends, too.
1: They have to be boyfriends. I demand that they're boyfriends. They have
0: to be. They also look very sleepy, like uh, kind of like Tom Nook does. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, oh, they're kind of like Tom Nook. Oh yeah, maybe they're maybe they're maybe they're actually uh, Tanuki. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they call it, they're they're explicitly called raccoons, so I guess that they're supposed to be. But by Goblin, Tanuki is kind of a raccoon. Like yeah, it's like a raccoon dog. Yeah, so you know it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so
1: Goblin and Spidey pretty much waste no time restraining the raccoon boyfriends um (laughs) i shouldn't care they're cops um (laughs) they're very handsome yeah Um, i mean yeah yeah
0: maybe maybe they're they're not cops maybe they're security they're security guards that's a little bit better um in either way they do get their asses handed to them so like they do they become as goblin says cocooned raccoon buffoons
1: (laughs) yes yeah spidey webs one up and goblin like gasses one of them which, on brand for both of them, good good job bringing the gas back. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that yeah, t- wastes no time. So, right after the the raccoons are both uh, handled, Goblin reveals to Spider-Man that he knows that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. This is where I, I just, this is the second time Spider-Man handles this, like, so poorly because... <laughs> I
0: know, right?
1: I understand that Spider-Man doesn't know exactly why Goblin is making this claim, but that's all the more reason to play dumb. Like, yeah. wait until Goblin has explained how he knows that you are Peter Parker. Because by this measurement, Spider-Man
0: could try to say, "Who? who is Peter Parker? Well, guess like, what? Guess what? He did that in the Hunter episode. When the Hunter reveals identity, the first thing that Spider-Man did was play it off as... That guy? Like, who? Oh, the reporter kid? And it wasn't until the hunter, like, literally showed him a picture of, like, Peter Parker. Or, no. Uh, but these
1: are no; these are two different mistakes. These are two different mistakes. Because what the hunter does is the hunter shows a picture of Peter Parker. That's right. That's right. And that's Spider-Man right. is like, Peter Parker? And the hunter was like, I didn't actually know your name, but thanks. That's right. Right. In that's this right. case, Goblin, who only saw Peter go into an alley and out of an alley and, made, and put two and two together says, you're Peter Parker. Spider-Man doesn't even try to say, who? Or yeah. play it off like, that guy? No, that guy's an idiot. Like, you could have tried anything. And I know this is dumb because it doesn't matter because the whole point is that we are supposed to know that Goblin knows, and that is just the fact. So it doesn't really matter because it's just, it's, I, I'm just being nitpicky.
0: <laughs> Spider-Man,
1: yeah. protect yourself a little bit better.
0: Yep, yep, yep. It is cool. That he knows his identity. I think that's a cool, like I said, cool story choice. Unfortunately, still not a good look for Goblin because <laughs> <laughs> he's using this knowledge to uh, threaten Spider Man as he was doing with Peter Parker earlier. um Spider Man reveals that, like, hey, if you want me to leave, like, that's literally what I'm trying to do, buddy. And Goblin's right. like, oh, what? Oh, hell yeah. Well, okay, we can be friends again. Cool, yay which I do like, I actually like that because the the relationship like changes on a dime. It's just like, all right, cool, we're buddies again now. Awesome, yeah, I'll help you leave. What can I do for you? (laughs) Yeah, I love that moment. That's like
1: good, it's good writing. It's good time, like it's timed well. It's also like especially funny to- to remember that these two characters Are being voiced by the same person So he's literally having this conversation with himself
0: Yeah uh, well, it's, it's beautiful It is And that's the thing that I do like about Goblin in this episode And I think they get really right Because that sort of immediately redeems him a little bit Because he obviously was He wasn't trying to kill Peter Parker Like he right. was legit trying to scare him off And he is true to his word Because as soon as he finds that Peter Parker is going to do that Then he's just like Okay, that's, that's what I wanted Then we have no beef Like that's yep. so, And I like that about him because, I mean, it kind of shows, it, it reaffirms that he's not a bad guy. He's just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's just an antagonist to Spider-Man in this particular situation. But uh, that's it. He's not a bad guy.
1: Yep. Also interjecting to point out that at this point in the episode, Spider-Man tells Goblin that he is trying to leave. That is what he is trying to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just going to keep pointing out those things. Sure. <laughs> All right, so like you mentioned, Goblin jokingly offers to like help him leave or whatever, but Spider-Man's like, no, actually, you could help me because I got to get into this facility, and I think that you might be able to help me do that. So Goblin's like, sure, here's what the facility is. Let me give you an info dump. He says, it's a facility that's feared by all bestials, that the bestials are brought there specifically after being arrested. They don't clarify as criminals or anything, just that the only way you get in is by being arrested. Cool. And that no one ever seems to leave once they are brought there, so we it's confirmed this is a menacing place uh people are basically being kidnapped off the streets. It's probably very similar to the situation with Sir Ram, mm. where he was snatching humans, yeah, except in this case they're snatching bestials, yep. so same vibe,
0: yep yep, 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 yep spider man reveals to goblin that he's actually trying to retrieve a space shuttle um which huh. you know goblin which is kind of goblin. His reaction's pretty good, because it, it's sort of, like, shocked, but also, like, not that shocked, because this is a fucking weird world. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, um, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay. I guess you are from another planet. <laughs> yep. Cool. <laughs> yep.
1: So he's also told Goblin his specific plan. His yeah. His specific plan.
0: Yeah, specifically retrieving a <laughs> shuttle so he can take <laughs> that shuttle off of this planet to another planet. Where I promise
1: lives. I'm pointing all these things out for a very specific reason. <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> so... Uh, while he's doing that, though, one of the uh, one of the gay raccoons gets up and hits a button on the hover vehicle that activates the facility's security alarm and defenses. Should have <sighs> webbed up the guy that was passed out, like you did with the other guy who was passed out. But uh-huh. whatever.
1: Uh huh. Real oversight. <laughs> <laughs> this alarm, I mean, it mobilizes like all the security folks. Like you see them running around. It's very much a public alarm. And uh, one of the things that it activates that's different than just guards and lights and sounds is a massive, like, tank-like machine man. It's huge. We, yeah. we haven't seen anything like this, right? No. I'm no. not, like, forgetting the massive tank machine no. man.
0: And the only reason that you kn- that you know it's, like, a machine man is because it's, like, colored the same way and has kind of, like, a similar, like, Almost yeah. like face visor on it, but mm-hmm. it's it's literally just a tank. Yeah,
1: it's yeah, it's a huge tank. So Goblin tries to throw pumpkin bombs at it, but that doesn't really seem to work. Uh, it doesn't seem to do anything actually, and so the tank knocks him out of the sky and tries to run Goblin over. Uh, doesn't succeed because Spider-Man saves him uh, using his webbing. He qu- he says he gums up the tank machine's <laughs> like treads, which yep. I mean it works enough to help him get Goblin, but the tank pretty much removes it with no problem (laughs) and continues, like, trying to run them over.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: Luckily, luckily? I don't know. This is weird. Uh, (laughs) Before the tank can actually run them over, the ground below them crumbles, just crumbles, large area crumbles, and they fall below into the depths of the underground.
0: The infrastructure of Counter-Earth New York, or I guess New Jersey, is just saltine crackers. Yeah, it's like, all
1: saltine crackers.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess the high evolutionary is funneling like all of like public funds into his like stupid experiments. So there's like no money just to like build fucking roads and fucking parking lots and the ground so <laughs> that's why all the bestials are in like flying cars and stuff because because like if you're just walking on the ground at any minute it could just crumble and you could just fall right through because there's like no layers to it being in the yeah. air is much much uh much safer
1: <laughs> i do you know if if the high evolutionary had been as i suspected just like a big old boy like a big old belly boy then uh it would it would be totally appropriate that his entire city is made out of out of food you know (laughs) like saltine cracker city maybe some graham crackers here and there uh all kinds of other pretzel pretzel traffic lights maybe he starts you know doing it to himself santa's beard is cotton candy right like throw in whatever you want uh anything and uh, it really explains why the city cannot stay standing is because he's just built the whole fucking thing with food
0: that's like the one good thing that High Evolutionary has ever done. Actually, I'm cool with that.
1: Make everything out of food. Turn yeah. himself into living sweets. Oh,
0: yeah, I suddenly like. Okay, that was the one missing piece of characterization. That was the one thing we we're missing, and there I fully understand him now. Cool. Yeah. Into it. All right.
1: I like the fact that I can literally eat his
0: beard. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> do what I'm, what I do to my own beard on a daily basis, but it, 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 it now it tastes better. <laughs> I mean. Wh- all the twists
1: and turns we've gotten in season 1, it is not not that weird to think that suddenly things are just edible in in season 2. I mean they're not eating animals, are they?
0: That's true. Yeah, what else are they <laughs> eating? That's the okay, that's the important experiment that he's working on right now ah. is because, you know, everybody is a vegetarian, which is fine and actually doable even though our society claims that it isn't, but we totally uh-huh, could pull uh-huh, that off. Uh-huh. But his, his he's still trying to like mediate what was a kind of a sudden shift from to to like making everyone vegetarian, which you know was it, instead of doing it over time. So the solution was to just turn everything into food, and it makes sense. So everything checks yeah. out. Counter Earth suddenly all makes sense. Everything's we made fi- out of food. We solved it. Yep.
1: <laughs> Weird.
0: Uh huh. I don't know where that came from. In
1: any case, the ground is made of. Saltine crackers and crumbles below them.
0: (laughs) It actually was okay, so this was irrelevant.
1: This wasn't the fact that I should probably eat something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, cool. (laughs) Well, let's keep going, so you can uh, so you can stop and eat something. Huzzah! Uh, (laughs) So when they land underground, uh, or Goblin and Spidey, I should say, land underground, they find themselves surrounded by a bunch of hooded bestials, including Lester, and they call themselves the Rejects. They're like, like, isn't it obvious? We're the Rejects. Which no. It's not obvious. It's not. Some of the like some of them kind of are. Like there's like the really cool like two-headed lizard guy. That's kind of It's neat.
1: obvious later. It's yeah. obvious when they're not wearing robes and like they're all weird like I shouldn't say weird, but they're all, like, chimera bestials as kind opposed of. to just, like, chimera chimera.
0: Kind of, though. Not all of them are. That's the thing. That's a problem that I have with this episode is the, the the rejects are really, really cool in theory. And the little bit that we'll sort of see of them in pieces are really cool. But we only see just, like, flashes of them for some reason, which really bums me out that they'll make these really cool character designs that, like, we see, like, one frame of and then don't. And it's not really for any good reason other than they, like didn't want to draw and animate all of them, I guess, is probably the only reason. But yeah. even still, the character who says, Isn't it an obvious or rejects is just like a horse with glasses. Like what an
1: otherwise normal bestial.
0: <laughs> right. Like what what <laughs> what what's what's different about you, but Buddy, I don't understand.
1: I, I'm telling you, I I really, really want to write this world. I want to rewrite and recreate this world so bad because there's so much you could get into that's based on accidents, but that could be so cool. So cool. If you just, if you could clarify, if there's a way to clarify what exactly the high evolutionary is trying to create, then everything else makes sense because then you know what rejects are. Mm -hmm. You know why they are rejected. You can have a particular window of bestials that are considered the good bestials, the I'm doing mm-hmm. all kinds of air quotes, successful bestial experiments, right? And then everything else is either too animalistic, too human like, too chimera like. And mm-hmm. anything that doesn't fit into that particular window is treated like garbage alongside the humans that are treated like garbage. And then it would be so cool. And then you could have all these different kinds of factions, just like we kind of have hints of like the rejects. And people who actually work for the high evolutionary who might not want to versus the people who work for the high evolutionary and believe in his cause. Yeah. The people who are just living their lives, the people who are perhaps allies to the revolutionaries. Like there's all kinds of things you could do with it. Yeah. Um, If you just had the structure sort of like set and a little bit easier to understand because some of them do make sense. Like Alice, Alice is a mole, but she is she's like kind of uh, quadrupedal. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, she
0: can't she seems to walk on all fours pretty much exclusively.
1: Right, which is odd for beastials. So you can kind of understand why she might be considered a reject if if we if we assume that the high evolutionary standard is bipedal anthropomorphic bestials, right? Yeah. And then the ones that are are mixtures of of different different animals but don't seem to be like Fire Drake where they're like strong and scary, you can kind of understand that too. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, we're just guessing at why they're rejects There's not really anything clarified.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, and then you get a lot of, you can get some really easy and I think cool make like, metaphors for like high evolutionary, basically practicing like eugenics, essentially mm-hmm. where it's just like, only the perfect, only the perfect, you know, and the ones that, that like, even, you know, we see the rejects are like pretty awesome. Like, like uh, Alice, is vital to the rejects because she can fucking dig everywhere even though she's essentially she's technically supposed to be a reject like she seems Mm -hmm. to be more like equipped and powerful uh and skillful than like a lot of the quote unquote normal bestials are um so there's a really easy metaphor that they could have there that they wouldn't even have to really work that hard to get across um and that would Uh. also make the high evolutionary look like be a, a more of a villain like in a stronger villain i think yeah and, you know, the show, I, I, I think it would be easy to, to be like, oh, it's a kid's show. They, can't, they couldn't really get too far into, like, the politics of Counter-Earth. But I think that they were sort of encroaching on that at the beginning of the show, and especially in the pilot, and then just sort of scaled back on it. I think that mm-hmm. they're, they're, they actually very easily could have dived into, like, the politics of Counter-Earth, at least in terms of, like, social politics and social issues and things. Yeah, I think so. Because they so, they've always been kind of skirting around it, and you don't ha- obviously you don't have to go, like, super deep into it, but they've established enough and made clear enough, you know, that there is, like, a class issue on this planet that it wouldn't be too weird to really dive into that. So it's kind of disappointing that, like, they keep, like, inching at it and are constantly at that threshold, but, like, never crossing it fully um, in a way yeah. that's, like, actually, like, useful, you know?
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just was. I wish this were longer. I wish that they were able to spread things out more. I wish they had more room to tell stories. Yeah. There's so much. If this were like, I don't, if this were a 26 season or 20, that season, holy crap, 26 episode season, like, I think we might have been more satisfied. I don't know. That could just be wishful thinking. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot you could do that would, that would clarify some of this. But mm-hmm. I guess we're just supposed to understand and, 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 Come up with our own explanation for why these, these ones are rejects.
0: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, they take Spidey and Goblin to their leader, who is a partially metamorphized butterfly bestial named Prima. She explains that the dome that's over them uh, holds bestial prisoners who are forced to work creating new bestials. So, like, no more is... Well, I, and, and it checks out because we saw, like, in flashbacks and stuff that... Uh, The High Evolutionary was just, like, shooting beams at actual animals and turning them into bestials. But I have to imagine that after a while, they'll just, like, run out of regular animals, I guess, (laughs) to turn into bestials. So, like, what is he going to do? Apparently, he uh, just creates matter out of the ones that he doesn't like that are failures and then just, like, rebuilds them from, like, the molecular or DNA level from the uh, genetic, like... Uh, pieces of other bestials. So that's uh, yeah. terrifying.
1: <laughs> I, I can make this all make sense in my head probably more than I think they intended for it to make sense. It, it, it serves the purpose of making the high evolutionary even more of a bad, gross dude. Yeah. Uh, this idea that he's, he's forcing bestials to make more bestials, especially with the next detail about, like, how they're made uh-huh. and, like, what goes into it. and
0: <sighs> Yeah, it's gross. It's gross. Have we ever seen bestial kids? We've seen bestial teenagers. Oh, that's right. We have. Okay. Never mind. Because I was going to ask, like, what if they're like all, what if all bestials are like sterile and this is the only way to make new bestials? Well, so
1: that's, that's where I, I I think I could make this make sense in my head, but I don't think they were thinking about it when they did it necessarily. Like, I don't think they asked, are bestials reproducing independently to create more bestials? Like, I I don't know if they asked that question in the way that we're going to, right? Mm -hmm. Um, i I think it makes sense if the high evolutionary just never stopped his work right and and that and we're shown that he has not stopped his work, so I think the bestials that walk around can reproduce on their own, mm. but it just i guess they're not his ultimate goal guess or he so. just can't stop right it's It's one of the two things mm-hmm. um so what he's doing is totally unnecessary, but he's still doing it in the name of something. Science? I don't know. His yeah. mission? I don't know. His his religion that he sort of accidentally created by being the god of this planet? <laughs> Who knows? Not really sure. But it's horrifying nonetheless, and that's kind of what we pull away from this. Because the bestials that are working there... They're making new bestials, but what we end up learning is that they're making new bestials out of old recycled bestials, which is so fucked up. Yeah. So fucked up. And we get that. Like, that is clear to us. I guess, like, what happens, and this is a little weird, but what happens is when bestials who work at the facility specifically get too old or whatever, they, they get reduced down to their their dna components like you had mentioned and then that material is in some way used to create new bestials help create new bestials we get a little bit of clarification later yeah um, but not a ton of clarification we just know that to some degree bestials are recycled they use that word uh to create new bestials and it's fucked up and weird and gross and the high evolutionary is trash yep
0: yep 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 A little bit of a nightmare of an episode, for sure. Yeah, big time, (laughs) big time. (laughs) So, so you know. I, I like the idea of like oh cool so Spidey's gonna like team up with this like um you know kind of like this this these like oppressed bestials so it's sort of been like what he's been doing with the human revolutionaries but instead of it just being humans with which she is a human it's actually gonna kind of cross some boundaries and cross cross some some kind of cool lines and we've talked about how a lot of the bestials like aren't like bad guys they're just regular people so this is sort of going to kind of hammer that in because he's actually going to team up with bestials who are also being oppressed by the class that they're supposed to have been part of by being bestials, and they're obviously mm-hmm. not. So that seems cool, right? Prima even shares her hope that Spidey and Goblin will help them. It's so like, okay, cool, or, or I should say be of help to them. Because um, what <laughs> really bugs me is that I think it would have been easy, I feel like because I think we don't really need what happens next and it just kind of wastes time because both are skeptical and they're right to be because then Prima's like, yeah, we're going to turn you in and, and and exchange you because you're the most Earth's most wanted criminals. And then, then the, the high evolutionary will use you to, to stop the practice of recycling, which like, I know they're trying to present it as sort of like, that's how desperate they are or whatever, but I don't know. It just kind of bugs me. Cause like, They end up just teaming up with them later on anyway, and all it does is just, like, end up making it (laughs) just adding a little more conflict that I don't feel like was necessary and makes me like the rejects less when they seemed, like, really cool. And I don't know. Maybe I just wanted the rejects to be cooler. Maybe is all it is.
1: This is instance number two where I really, really wish that this was over the course of multiple episodes or issues of a comic because I actually really like this. I just don't think there was the space to pull it off because what it should end up sort of being is that Prima is the zealous one, right? And she is – this is her idea and she's essentially using bestials kind of in the same way out of desperation that the High Evolutionary did – And then they realize through these next couple interactions with Spidey and Goblin that they actually just escaped into another sort of oppressive force. And then that's where they actually learn their movement can be a thing. It's it's like an extra unnecessary step, but it's the type of thing I think you could pull off to develop and introduce some characters along the way or develop relationships uh, or further understanding with Spider-Man or Goblin even. Mm -hmm. But it just, it doesn't, there's not room for it here. And so you can cut it out entirely because it doesn't ultimately have any effect because you don't have the time to make Prima a bad guy. She's not really a bad guy by the end. It's literally just this moment where it's like, they're desperate, but Mm -hmm.
0: okay. Yeah. Because the thing is like you already have the added tension of Goblin being there and not wanting to participate, um, which is, but and, and as it stands- what he could have just been like a counterpoint and a foil to Spider-Man if Spider-Man was like willing to work with them and Goblin wasn't but then Spider-Man so Goblin ends up being ha- having to be like reluctantly working with them or something like that that would have worked but as it stands because both Spider-Man and Goblin are both like on the offensive or defensive against them. Like the goblin is just like up to 11. So he ends up just being like extra nasty the entire time. And like, yeah, really like judgmental and, and even like suspicious of Spider-Man too, at the same time. And it's just like, he gets really he, – he start I really like Goblin, and I liked him in the last episode he was in. But he, like, rubs me the wrong way in this one a lot because he's just, like, so mean constantly and, like, mm-hmm. so unwilling to help anybody. And, like, I get it. You don't like bestials. You are protector of the humans. But, like, I don't know. He has, like, zero empathy at all for, like, the rejects at all the entire time. And it really bums me out, and he's so mean about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's it's I, again, that's a it's a thing that could have been a cool development with time and room, but they just didn't have time and room. Like, I don't know. It so so then it results in in him kind of being unlikable. Yeah, yeah. It's a bummer. It's a, I I admire. Here's what I admire about it. I admire the fact that the creators of this show have built a world. Unfortunately, that isn't fleshed out enough, but has the skeleton of a world. That could have toiled for decades, right? Like you could build so many stories in this world simply because they've established so many competing and complicated interests for different groups. And I love that. The fact that the rejects exist, it's rough because there's so little room for them to operate. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that they're in a different city I love the fact that they have their own motivation related mm-hmm. to that city, mm-hmm. but they're still connected to the overall system, and they're still a product of that same system. And that's the same case for any of these groups that have different interests, like specific knights, the revolutionaries, you know, like humans that have, have quote, made it, or who are are the exceptions to the social structure, like the hunter. Like, they've built a world that's really complicated, yeah. um, and I love that. I just... They almost built a world I'm not going to say they built a world too big. They just built a huge world that they didn't have enough time or room to really maximize their play with. Yeah, uh, that's really I'm so the bummed. That's, and it's, it's weird because they they've created a world that I'm endlessly fascinated by. Mm-hmm. I, I've never felt so fascinated by um, a world that I just expected so little from, you know Yeah, uh, and I, I, I really, really love, love this counter-earth situation it's so complicated and messy and i just uh i'm gonna be so bummed when it ends not because the product we got is so perfect or anything it's not like a spectacular situation Mm -hmm. it's just the 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 playground we got it's like i i got to play on one ride and then had to leave
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, but
1: i got to see all the rides i could have been on
0: yeah yeah I sort of wish that maybe they'd found – it would have been harder to kind of, like, break the season this way. But I sort of wish they'd have found some way to maybe, like, dole out aspects of Counter-Earth, like, in, in better increments, like, more more delineated increments. Like, each mm-hmm. episode sort of spots, like, spotlights a different, like, issue or different area of Counter-Earth's, like, system. yeah. Like, they they sort of are kind of doing that occasionally, but usually there's so much going on in any given episode that, like, you're introduced to multiple elements at the same time, and that ends up being kind of the big problem, right? You're never given enough time to spend with each of these elements, so you're sort of, like, thrown out this... Idea that you have a ton of questions about. It's like, wait, what? Like, they can they can do what? The hunter is who? Like, there's this guy. Like, <laughs> the vulture looks like a human, but he hung out hung out with he hung out with humans and he's not a human. Like, wait, what? Hold up, what? Can you explain this to me? Yeah. And the Sir Ram has its own has its own race that he's creating. Like, what? What's going on? Git is a bandage man. Like, what's up with that? Huh? Oh, and like, and they're all interesting ideas that I'm sure whoever was writing it probably had more ideas behind them or figured like we can go into this more deeply, but like there's too many questions about everything that it's inevitable that they're not going to be able to have time to answer them. And it's not like we're constantly begging for just like big answers to every single question. We're just asking for a little bit of clarification on like some of the world building stuff and -hmm. we can never get it because there's too much. There's just, just too much happening at once. Yeah. Especially in an episode like this one. Yeah. (laughs) If this episode had just focused on one of like the six different things that are going on, it would have been, a lot better I think or at least maybe not a better episode but at least like a clearer episode and we've got we would have gotten a clearer picture of what's going on yeah hello amazing friends We'd just like to take a minute to thank our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, and Joe. And if you are interested in becoming a
1: patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our spider bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, And you get your own random villain alter ego.
0: If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron.
1: And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30 where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos.
0: So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level we're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks.
1: So the rejects minus Prima, Prima seems to be really limited in, in her physical movement. Like she's very, like we called her a partially metamorphized butterfly because she kind of looks like, to be quite honest, she kind of looks like Job of the Hutt. But if <laughs> Jabba the Hutt were sort of mixed with a butterfly.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So all the rejects minus her escort Spider-Man and Goblin through some sort of concealed corridor that leads to a chamber where the High Evolutionary has just finished recycling Larry. Bye, Whoa. Larry.
0: Bye-bye, buddy. Sorry, Sorry. dude.
1: <laughs> Yikes. Um. Wow. So, yeah, this is what we're talking about, where we see the high evolutionary doing just, like, the work that it seems like anybody in this facility would do. Except I guess it could be – I I would have a hard time believing this. But I guess it could be that he is – trying to prevent people who even work at the facility from knowing what the material is. And the rejects just happen to be people who know the inside information, in which case Hmm. I guess this would make sense. But what we learn is that the high evolutionary is recycling bestials, basically, to, like, feed that material as a supplement to new bestials. Yeah. So it's not just that he's, he's constructing bestials out of the DNA pieces, parts of old recycled bestials. It's that he's feeding them to new bestials, which makes it even
0: more fucked up. That didn't even, like, click in my brain. But, yeah, they said nutritional supplement, right? Like, oh, yeah. Jesus. So oh, presumably God.
1: he creates bestials and then uses this material of old bestials and maybe it's not technically fed to them it could be any number of ways but ultimately like he's pumping old recycled bestials into new bestials to create better quote (laughs) better bestials i don't know it's all really really gross and really really dark
0: yeah, I mean, we literally see Larry like screaming in pain as like lights are flashing, and then he comes out unconscious, dead, I guess, and then goes into another machine where like he's turned into goop. Like it's uh-huh. fucked. Oh uh, no, green goop.
1: No, is this a soylent green reference?
0: I, maybe it is. Yeah, it's green goop. When and when the when the and it's it's weird because they they make it clear that like when. The table that he was on comes out from the other side of the machine. It's just his clothes. So like it's literally that his flesh and body and bones have melted into this green goop that is being fed to the new beastual. So, yeah, I think it is just kind of a Soylent Green reference. Damn. It it
1: has the same effect, right? Like they're feeding us people. It's people. It's people. people. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Jesus. Yeah. Yep, Humans yep, don't really yep. have it that bad, do they? Okay. <laughs> like well, in that's, this world. So that's, that's <laughs> one of the things.
1: I think this happens too soon in this series, but that is one of the things that we learn, right? Like it's not – we, we suspected this early on, but what we really learn is that it's, really, it's, it's not great for anybody. Like there is a yeah. small window of people on this planet that are acceptable, Everybody else is oppressed or abused or taken advantage of or just completely neglected Mm -hmm. in some way. It's fucked up for everyone. That's the kind of story that I think probably should have happened in a second season uh, so you could fully maximize and build out the first sort of (laughs) like social structure. Yeah. Um, But I I don't dislike it. I mean, I I, like I said, I love the complexity of this world so much. It's messy as fuck, but I love it.
0: Yeah, it is It is a big wrench to throw into everything right now. <laughs>
1: yeah, it all, it's all happening so fast. I can't imagine binging all of this in like a day. <laughs>
0: Dude, I know, right? It's a wrench, a, a wrench among so many other wrenches because we just yeah. just learned like a couple, like a few weeks ago that like Sir Ram is also making his new race of bestials. So it's like, yep. God, and Venom and Carnage and it's just like there's so much happening right now. Yeah, there's so much happening. It's so right now. <laughs>
1: much. It's so many moving parts. So 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 many moving parts.
0: Yeah. Not mad about it, really. It's just yeah, a lot. <laughs> no,
1: I, I I want it. I want it. it. The problem isn't how much there is. The problem is how little time there is to fully explore all of it. Yeah. And again, it's it. They don't they don't know how much time they have. So this is not. I can't excuse it because sure. they were. They were they were writing 13 episodes of one season, presumably expecting more seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's still a problem. It's still a pacing problem. But I still do love all of the things that they yeah. considered about this world. <laughs> yeah,
0: seriously. <laughs> um, well, Spider-Man is understandably horrified, as we all are. Uh-huh. So he's like, fuck this, and breaks out of his restraints and is just like, okay, guys, I'm gonna help you. Let's work together. Let's not do this trade thing. It doesn't matter. High Evolutionary is never going to barter with you guys. Let's, me and Goblin, we're going to just blow the place all to hell. How about that? And you can work with me to do that. Um, he asks simply that the rejects get him to the center of the dome. And they're like, huh, well, hmm, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Goblin, um, ever the asshole, is still hesitant about it. <laughs> Um, He's like, ooh, I don't want to work with you. You're gross. <laughs> so they like leave him, leave him cuffed.
1: <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> I
0: do. And he they're just, says
1: like, you're gonna leave me cuffed? And they're like, well, he gained our trust.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you didn't, you didn't say you're gonna help us. So okay, bye. Right. He's like, hey, wait, hold on, hello.
1: And they're not wrong, and he knows that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's he's still cuffed. They're they're agreeing to Spider-Man's proposal, and so they make their way towards the center of the dome. They should expect this, but an alarm sounds as they continue traveling through the corridors. And so Lady Ursula reports to the High Evolutionary that there's some sort of breach, uh, security breach. High Evolutionary, once again, does not take Lady Ursula seriously and instead orders her to address the problem, but like threatens to recycle her in the process. So he's basically like, you figure it out. And if you can't figure it out i'm gonna i'm gonna turn you into goop right he's
0: a very bad leader
1: <laughs> he's a very bad leader um i it again and i think it's just it's it's not it's not fully fleshed out there are, there are infinite reasons that we might be able to suspect why this is the case, but we don't get them, so he's just not not a good leader <laughs> yeah um I have no idea why he hates Lady Ursula so much, we don't even have a reason to believe he does, other than he just does not take her seriously. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of as far as, like, why he's not taking any of this seriously, is just that, like, I I had wished earlier on in this season that Lady Ursula was a bit, like, dumber on screen, mm-hmm. and if that had been the case, this might make a little bit more sense, where it's like, Lady Ursula, like, you never know what you're talking about, so, what, like, <laughs> go investigate, dummy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah go do this thing next. And he could have played it off that way, but as it stands, he's just an asshole. Yeah. Um, and is really preoccupied with recycling Larry.
0: <laughs> or, you know, if he was working on something different than what the facility has been doing forever, yeah. uh, if it was a very special project, it, it would make sense if he was just like super consumed by that and preoccupied and dim Wilson to her that way. But yeah. yeah, it's sort of like the worst possible way to have handled this, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> to, just to not handle it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So the rejects manage to guide Spider-Man and Goblin to the dome center. uh, And that's where the space shuttle is being kept. Um, Why a space shuttle is being kept in a place where they're just like recycling bestials. I don't know. But hey, whatever. I guess it's their main headquarters. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense, but uh, nothing does. Uh, Spider-Man gets to the shuttle. He attempts to hotwire it, but realizes, oh, this is a space shuttle and I'm not a rocket scientist uh-huh <laughs> duh so then he's like okay how about and i know goblin knows a lot of tech stuff hey rejects uncuff him i'm gonna need an expert um so goblin follows spider-man to the shuttle uh but not before giving lester, lester a lit an active pumpkin bomb
1: <laughs> didn't realize just how dumb lester was until this moment
0: he's like he's oh like, wow, hey thanks, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's really Dummy. funny yeah
1: Yeah, I know. I loved it. It was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. So Spidey and Goblin do make their way back to the shuttle. And as they enter the shuttle, Lady Ursula arrives to investigate what's going on. But she is greeted promptly by the pumpkin bomb that was given to Lester because he realizes, oh, shit, this is lit. (laughs) This is a bomb and bombs explode. So uh, basically chaos erupts outside of the shuttle. Inside the shuttle, Goblin begins working on the control panel and praises Spider Man for tricking the Rejects into helping him access the space shuttle. Okay, affirms Spider Man's plan, but introduces this idea that Spider Man was tricking the Rejects. Spider Man, I don't believe, replies to this. No, at all. he
0: doesn't. And I think that he, I, I, and yeah, right. And that's just Goblin's assumption. Um, right. Yeah, right. Which it makes sense for Goblin to believe it because he's a huge asshole in this episode. So <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Dick. <laughs>
1: yep, yep, yep. So chaos is happening outside, and the rejects basically clash with the machine men, and Ursula decides Machine Men got this and goes into the, the spacecraft to confront Goblin. hmm She confronts him, and while they're scuffling, they bump a lever. That activates the rocket.
0: Because it's literally an on and off switch. Uh (laughs) That's how you drive a rocket. Cool. Good to know. Uh Uh If you ever want to steal a rocket, just like there's a lever that says on and off and you put on it and it'll just blast.
1: It's not covered at all. There's no lock on it. Just just be careful with your elbows, basically. (laughs) (laughs) We all know that. That the cockpits of spacecraft are always very roomy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, by the way, this is this is sort of like this fight sequence, the chaotic sequence, is where you actually do get to see like a bunch oh, yeah. of the uh, the rejects, like unhooded and everything, and they're yep. all very. It's again mad that we don't see more of them because they're really fucking cool. There's like an alligator with like a mouth on his tail that walks yeah, on off walls. That's yeah. how
1: I noticed it at first. I was like, "Does that tail have a mouth?" Yep, yep. And then I started looking more at them. There's like a like something with a chameleon head and wings. I think. Mm-hmm. There's an um, owl
0: that's um like an owl that has like one wing, and then the other is just like a human arm and human chest, and then an owl oh bottom Lord. again. It's crazy. Yeah. Jeez, jeez, jeez. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it really illustrates why they call themselves rejects.
0: Yeah, I mean I like the idea if they were kind of doubling down on the like kind of like the Cronenberg like grotesqueness of them, mm-hmm. but they're also but they're actually like fucking badass and awesome and heroic. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I wish they could have doubled down on that a little bit more, because that's really cool.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Unfortunately we only get a little little bit of it because the rockets do activate, the shuttle starts launching. Spider-Man at this point had actually left the shuttle though. So he sees the shuttle launching and is like shoot i got to get on there why did he leave he the hit,
0: shuttle i don't remember
1: he well so he left the shuttle basically to try to fend off oh. or help out the the rejects that's right basically to like buy goblin time right right and so he's like oh shoot like i damn it i was trying to be on that right <laughs> um so he hitches a ride on the exterior of the shuttle as it as it uh, starts flying away. Question for you: mm-hmm. Did they recycle him climbing up the shuttle from the first episode? No, because he didn't have a suit yet. Okay, yeah. JK, just answered my own question. <laughs> um, so he like crawls up the side of the the shuttle. It's like crashing through the the dome ceiling, um, which I guess is possible because everything is made of saltine crackers. <laughs> <laughs> and the shuttle begins flying towards the atmosphere, like to- like into outer space, which is a problem because it's going too fast for Spider-Man to actually climb up the shuttle and get into the cockpit where he would be able to theoretically pilot it back mm-hmm. to Earth Prime. Mm-hmm. And he realizes this. So he's like, shoot, this is not going to work. I can't get to the cockpit. So instead, he uses his webbing... To basic, I don't know what they're called on planes. Are they? They're not rudders, are they? Oh, um, is it a rudder on a on a aircraft?
0: Uh, I don't know. Uh, people who are into airplanes tweet at us and let us know. I don't yeah, know. I, is, it's I mean. It's yeah. It has the same function as a rudder, so it might just be called a rudder for that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. He he redirects the the shuttle back towards the Earth by turning a rudder or something. I don't know what to call it, but he does that. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh and the shuttle crashes into the domed facility
0: yeah so everyone's dead right like that killed <laughs> tons hundreds maybe thousands of people like a there rocket was... ship crashed into a domed building that as far as i know everyone who was working in there did not get in an evacuation okay. notice
1: okay 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 i thought that too there was, I, and I forgot about this, so I'm glad you brought this up. Okay. There was one line, one line where Lady Ursula calls back to the High Evolutionary and says, we have to evacuate.
0: Oh. But do you think they evacuated the slaves? No.
1: No. There's no way that that worked. There's no way that everybody could get out in that much time.
0: And they wouldn't have evacuated. Not they a wouldn't chance. Have, but they wouldn't have evacuated the, the, the workers anyway, because they wouldn't have necessarily known. Well, no, they knew the rocket was coming. But they wouldn't, I don't know. They wouldn't care. They wouldn't care. Yeah, they wouldn't have let him go. They would evacuate
1: so. the high evolutionary. They would evacuate Ursula. And they would evacuate any of the other people who were presumably like operational people. Everybody else, they would have just let die. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Although the high evolutionary might have freaked out about his like DNA, genetic material stuff. I guess. Maybe.
0: But they wouldn't have been able to get him out that quickly anyway. So, and no. that's like, because the explosion it's like they don't even it's not even like a mushroom cloud or anything it's literally just like yeah. a bright flash of yellow light behind Spider-Man that stays there for a while he's walking off like it lit up the city there's no way that there wasn't like massive damage done to all the buildings around it because it's literally in the middle of Atlantic City so yeah. Spider-Man killed that was like that was a historical like tragedy that happened just then and uh-huh. Spider-Man's like ah oh, guess I'm not going home mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: This is unrelated to anything as far as the story goes, but that that moment when the explosion happens behind Spider-Man, it fills up the entire sky behind him, and then the camera zooms out, and there are two bars on either side, the left and right, that are blue, and then the explosion fills the rest of the sky. <laughs>
0: Did oh you notice geez. that? No, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> it's it's wow, totally I'm just going. like a
1: weird animation accident, but it's the funniest thing to me. That's it's funny. it's like, oh, you know, Philip Guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. <laughs> okay. After Spider-Man has definitely killed a bunch of people by crashing a shuttle into a massive facility.
0: In the middle of the science city. science
1: facility in the middle of the city. Um, we cut to underground. <laughs> where everything's hunky-dory because Prima claims that all of the facility's prisoners escaped, all of them, every single one of them. And not only did they escape, they escaped completely. So none of them are prisoners anymore. And they will all be able to create a beautiful colony together of rejected bestials underground. And they absolutely will not be subject to the high evolutionary's forced labor or recycling because he doesn't know where they are. Wait, he already said he knows where they are. I think Good the, job, Prima.
0: I think Prima <laughs> I think Prima is a little bit unhinged and just is in denial about all of this and just made that up and it's just like, Everyone escaped. We're all here. Stay with us and have tea with our friends, Spider Man. And he looks around no. and there's nobody else there. I think that, that we don't even see anyone else. We don't Ooh. see anyone but the rejects we've already seen. Ooh. We don't see the people that escaped. So I don't Ooh. think they did. I think she's making it up. I think that they're all just uh, in shock right now. And yeah. this is just how she's processing her trauma is just by pretending everything went great.
1: They've all escaped through their souls leaving their bodies <laughs> and they're haunting the caverns
0: below. Well, especially <laughs> if you consider she didn't she wasn't asking for the place to be bombed. No, or for an she attack should be pissed. She's like, she asked f- to, to have Spider-Man and Goblin traded for the release of the Rejects, which was a yeah. dumb plan. But like, it was a very peaceful one, like peaceful negotiation when she was trying to do. And instead, yeah. they Spider-Man drove a rocket ship into a building and blew it up. Like that is the yeah. exact opposite of what she, she declared war on the High Evolutionary, and like she's going to be the one to have you take the brunt of that. And she's just like. Oh that was nice. Good job. That but was, here's great. the
1: thing. If they had spent the time making her well, they if they had if they had kept in that fact that she wanted to negotiate, which they did, if they had had the time to make her a bad guy, then the evolutionary taking it out on her would at least be better. It wouldn't be great, but it'd be better. Uh problem is they still killed a bunch of people, so you still have to tweak that detail. Yeah. But um But it just further illustrates that, like, that extra step of her trying to do that in the first place is, like, complicating things unnecessarily because they don't have the time to, like, untangle it all. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's like – I hate hate feeling – because I feel, like, being really nitpicky about it. And I think the problem is that, like – The curve of this show, like, it's proven that it can do things, that it has a really – that it is pretty thoughtful about a lot of stuff and that it has a lot of potential to write pretty complex things well when it can. It has
1: super ambitious ideas. Yeah, it
0: has super ambitious ideas. So clearly they want to have a smarter show than, like, a lot of other Saturday morning kids shows sometimes are. Like, they are aiming high which, but that means that, you know, the curve is a little bit different, so it's harder to kind of forgive, like, the weirdness of some of this stuff. So it's sort of like <laughs> if they can think through some details, that means they have to also think through other details. And there's a lot of – and this episode had a lot of potential, has a lot of really great potential, uh, ambitious ideas, but then just throws out this, like, random stuff that's just like, oh, my God, you didn't – you didn't mm-hmm. even, like, give a second thought to that, did you? Like, <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Uh, yeah, Prima is not done – done well yeah uh, which is a bummer because i think she could have she could have been a really fascinating character
0: yeah yeah so
1: what do we have left um i guess we have oh so spider-man spider-man asks about goblin and they say that he was lost in the smoke of the explosion they don't say he was dead they don't say he was not dead they just say that we lost track of him basically yeah um so you could kind of you could take it either way if you're spider-man that's for sure
0: yeah he seems to take it as he died because he was like because they're like oh we lost your friend he's like well it was i wouldn't call him my friend but maybe we could have been as if like you know there's never a chance for that to happen so he assumes sad
1: spider-man face (laughs) yeah yeah
0: sure (laughs) (laughs) he assumes that he's dead trying to say the uh, make the audience think he's dead but obviously you know we can assume that he's not because we didn't see him die. so yeah and that's fine. <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah.
1: I don't. No, I don't. I don't want to. I. I wouldn't want that. I don't. I don't need that. Nor do I want that. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I don't. I mean, I don't mind the fake out either because they don't play it up a lot. It's just like. Yeah. That's just a way to kind of get him out, get him out of the story. Because otherwise, there would be some shit to deal with with Spider-Man not leaving the planet. So.
1: Oh man, I wonder if he even comes back in this season. I don't actually
0: know. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll find out. So the episode pretty
1: much ends here. So Primo offers a home to Spider-Man living underground, which doesn't make any sense. And he declines, which does make sense. The episode then ends with some Spider-Man inner dialogue. And this is what I hate about this episode. This is the (laughs) only thing that I really, 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 really don't like. Because everything else I can make sense of, even if I'm giving way too many passes for the messiness of this episode. This, I don't have a pass for. So his inner dialogue he explains that he did want to help the bestials, and that Goblin was wrong, that he was just tricking them and taking advantage of them. He wasn't just using them, but he admits that he's not sure what he would have done had he been able to get into the shuttle's cockpit. bullshit, you know exactly what you would have done because you were trying to get to the shuttle's cockpit. Fool, it's what you were trying to do the whole episode. You brought it up three times. <laughs> Yeah. What in the world? And then and then goblin said it to you and you didn't argue with him. You didn't reject it to him. You're only rejecting it now after the fact. I don't believe for a second that you would have even if even if even if he was really helping them and that's fine. You can do more than one thing at a time. I don't believe for a second that he's confused about what he would have done had he made it to the shuttle's cockpit. So, that had been made abundantly clear the whole time. Am I wrong?
0: I, You're not wrong. I, my, I, have, a <laughs> rash, my, I have a rationalization for it, though. Okay. This is what I was thinking when I was watching it is, obviously the whole time he wants to get home, that's his goal. That's the whole reason he's in Atlantic City. But at the point that the rocket is taking off and that he's trying to get to the cockpit, um, as far as he knows, the rejects aren't necessarily winning against who they're fighting. Like, I think machine men come in and are attacking. Like, it's just utter chaos. So if he leaves then, his plan was probably more that he could probably beat everyone off and then leave as soon as he's ready to leave. Um, But, you know, he's forced into the situation where he has to leave in the middle of the battle where the rejects that he promised to be helping, although he did just say that all they needed to do was take him to the center of the dome. But theoretically, he promised to help them. And the goal... He said it's, they
1: would destroy it. He said yeah. he said explicitly that he would help them, or that he okay. and Goblin would destroy it. So okay. it's not like he was doing like fancy wordplay or anything.
0: Okay, okay. So he did promise to help them destroy it. If he leaves in that rocket, then as far as he knows, they could just be beaten and then and then they're enslaved now, and he's just basically sentencing them to death, and nothing changes because he's left in a rocket ship and they're screwed. And then ch- turning the rocket back is essentially like a last ditch effort to like save the day for everybody. Okay. So I think that what he's referring to with this cockpit moment is in the circumstances that he ended up in at the end of the episode, would he have changed his mind and turned back or not? Now that he spent time with the rejects, I think that it would be it would be more effective if he had spent more time with the rejects, getting to know them, fighting alongside them and had a more of an emotional connection with them. Then it would have felt like a harder turn or whatever, um, or if there had been some kind of moment where he saw Spider-Man contemplating it during those moments Bingo. Earlier. but yeah we get no indication because it all kind of happens really quickly
1: and I don't think you're wrong you're probably actually completely right <laughs> like I'm I, that makes way more sense and it, it actually makes everything make sense as far as what my problem is with the end of this in the universe mm-hmm. but tell us that show us that do something so now my issue is just with the writing in those moments right yeah. like just give us one line where he says like, this is too early. It can't leave yet. Like yeah. we're not done here. They still need me
0: to like, like make it anything. clear to make it clear that there's <laughs> conflict. Not just about him getting to the rocket, but conflict of, like, sh- like shit. Yeah. I promised them I'd do this. It's my responsibility to them to help them. Like, I said that I would, and I can't help them if I leave now. But this is also my one chance to go home. Like, I think that's yeah. a great internal conflict. And that is a thing that I, I'm i finding myself really fascinated by with this season is sort of, like, this whole the whole premise of the show is kind of challenging. With great power comes great responsibility for Spider-Man. Yeah. It's sort of like, yeah, but does that responsibility extend to, like, this whole other planet that I don't even belong in? Like, like, do I even, does, does that even apply here? And I like that he's sort of having to like have these kind of mental, like, (laughs) like go through these like mental conflicts to figure that out within himself. Um, And this
1: could have been the big moment, right? Like this could have been the moment where he decides that he has to finish things here before he does anything further to leave. And maybe it is that moment, and and we're not gonna have the the clarity uh, that we would need in a moment like that. Mm-hmm. And we're just supposed to put the pieces together. In which case, okay, I see it. Like Derek got me there, but man, I, uh, I know so frustrated. <laughs> it, 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 it
0: could be a really great point in his arc, um, and it ends up being like way too subtle and unclear. Yeah. Because, because you know, it, it, it kind of sells Spider-Man a little bit short because instead of it being clear that he was having this internal conflict and makes a heroic choice to, like, turn back, instead it seems more like he's just forced into a position where he has no other choice but to turn back and help them. And it's just like, okay, so if you weren't in a situation where you were, like, not able to get to the cockpit then, yeah, he asked the question himself, like, what would I have done? But, like, I guess the question is meant to be ambiguous at the end but it all means uh, less
1: after the fact though yeah it all means way less after the fact it means yeah. so much more in the moment when we get to see him struggling with that decision
0: yeah yeah cuz you can say whatever you want after the fact like yeah i totally would have done that um and i do like that he questions it rather than saying what he would have done yeah cuz that's, that's more true. realistic i yeah. think that that's important um yeah it, it, that just that whole mo- yeah the whole the, the moment of him on the rocket ship should have been bigger than it was
1: yeah huh so I didn't. I was frustrated when I was when the episode was ending. Yeah, so it I left um, me in an annoyed place. Me too. That's my thing. <laughs> After that, liking most of the episode based on the ideas and concepts and and overall ambition.
0: Yeah, the first half of the episode I was sold. I was so into it and met the rejects, and I'm like, these guys are fucking rad i'm yeah. so into everything happening i love the goblin and i love him knowing peter parker's identity and i love that weird tension that they have now <laughs> and i think after the turn of like the rejects being like we're kind of bad in the middle of the episode even though i get what they were doing after the fact but that was the point for they're not me, really bad because they're not really bad but when that moment happened i was like oh this isn't going to go like i expected it to and the direction yeah. that it goes in is not where i wanted it to go or where i think it should have gone um which granted that's a problem with my expectations. So that's not, that can't be faulted against the episode. But I still say, like, critically, where the episode went, I don't think fully worked.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're, you're coming from the place of this is a, this is a single episode and you're trying to tell a story in a single episode. So get the story right in that single episode. Yeah. And I'm, I'm struggling so hard to not think of this as, what what it could have been in a different set like I'm i yeah I'm focusing too much on what the setting could have been and not enough on this is the setting the story was told in yeah so when I focus specifically on this is the setting the story is being told in this is the medium it just it's not constructed well mm-hmm. um, but Damn if I don't love everything that they introduced conceptually.
0: That's what makes it more frustrating is because there's so yeah. many cool things in the episode and I hate I being know. so down on it <laughs> and being so negative about it because everything that they're trying to do is so ambitious and so cool. It's I like just... this episode far
1: more than I don't like it. I, 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 might, I think yeah. I like it more than you do because I don't mind the,
0: the reject stuff. Um I think i i I think so I think it's because I was so disappointed in in, in the stuff that I liked not like being executed yeah. well is what really downed me for it, yeah, which is a weird place to be in because i object like i like in in a vacuum these certain elements I like them a lot i mean that's I think that's what
1: this show is doing right it's it's doing this very, very weird thing where it has you know <laughs> thirty years before or 20 years before we actually like sat down and watched it and examined it, figured out exactly the things that are going to poke our brains the right way mm-hmm. tells us that those things exist, but then doesn't really deliver. <laughs> like It's like yeah. just hovering over poking our brains the right way, yeah. not actually poking our brains the right way. And normally, I, I don't know if this is normally, I'm not really sure, but at least as far as what we've discussed, There hasn't been such dissonance between the ideas and concepts of something overarchingly and the actual execution. There have been specific episodes where we've talked about, like, I don't think that really delivered the way that it was intended to. One thing, one that comes to mind is, like, when we were talking about the 90s show, when we were talking about Hobgoblin, I remember being like, I like the ideas behind what they're doing. I hate the execution of it. Mm -hmm. That was, like, an episode in that season, Mm -hmm. This show feels like that. And so it's like it's not just a taste of something. It's like the whole freaking like 13-course meal is like that. Yeah. That's 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 what's making it so frustrating for me. Like, oh, every episode there's something so cool and I (laughs) love all of your ideas and everything and you're just not –
0: Serving
1: it, like yeah. serve it to me. <laughs>
0: that is the perfect encapsulation of it. Because I still think overall, I would like Spider-Man Unlimited as a show. Oh, me too. Um, me too. Like I'm it.
1: never gonna stop thinking about this show. It's gonna it's gonna occupy my brain stuff forever.
0: Yeah, and I think I would I I I I, I prefer it being weird and ambitious and just not hitting the mark a lot of the time. Um, as opposed to just being, like, boring and, like, have, yeah. you know, or the creators having, like, no investment in it or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, which, thankfully, we haven't really – I don't feel like we've really hit in any of the stuff that we've covered on our show uh, yet. Right. But this one, I think, is sort of, like, the epitome of that where it's just, like, it doesn't all work it, a lot of times. It doesn't work. Sometimes it works very poorly. But there's so much stuff that I am so into. And I think that even with all the criticisms that we have for it – the criticisms that, it's, that it gets in the wider like Spider-Man fandom and, and the wider world of comic book fandom, I think the, our criticisms are way different from what those are because I think we still really do appreciate and I think find a lot of value in so many of these concepts. It's just the way that it's executed.
1: I think our criticism comes from seeing the potential... Of the show, where it was coming from, yeah, not the potential of the show inherently based on the name Spider Man. Yeah, know what yeah I mean? definitely, definitely. So it's it, different. I think it's different. I would love for someone to call us out and say that's bullshit because we're on the same page. But I, I do think that that is the case. Like, yeah, I, I think do so. think our criticism comes from an appreciation for the actual ideas and ambition of the
0: show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it is an ambitious show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's wrap this all up. We do have a couple faces of the episode. One of them, it's just real quick. Normally, Ursula's drawn with just like flat, regular teeth. Uh, But for like (laughs) just like one, it's one little minor sequence at the beginning. She has like razor sharp teeth. Like, I mean, (laughs) she is a bear, so I guess it makes sense. But that's even later in the episode. She's clearly not drawn with that. She just has very, very sharp teeth at the beginning for no reason.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They are intense. They are intense. <laughs> her look is intense too.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eyebrows on Fleek, though. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. She's a blonde. She is. I never noticed that. Yeah, like hmm. her fur isn't a blonde, but her like actual mane right. of hair is. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Um.
1: And then the other face. I I don't even really know what to say about it. It's just it's Prima's face in the most detail we could have ever gotten. It's of Prima's face, it's like amazing. Yeah. Like it's 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 a really cool uh, frame. I almost said drawing, but it's a really cool frame. It's just it it just speaks for itself. Really, it's just yeah. her face in incredible detail.
0: Yeah, lots of <laughs> lots of shadow and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, cool. yeah. It epitomizes the style for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, well, you can find those faces, of the episode, and more by visiting us on our website, our new website wallopingwebsnappers.com, which we have a whole archive of all of our episodes. Um, So if you want to just like look by show or just uh, look up the old faces of the episodes for older episodes, you can do that on that website. They're all kind of neatly categorized there. Um, That's honestly
1: my favorite part of it is that you can – there's a drop – like literally there's a drop-down menu and you can pick which Spider-Man show you want to see the episodes for. And they're all right there. It's it's oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and I'm just saying that because it's our website. Like I I just I love it. <laughs> I love the way that we're able to organize it on the website. So uh-huh. It's great.
0: Uh huh. Yep. Yep. And obviously, we'll be adding more of those little drop downs as we do more shows. So, yeah. Check us out there, whalpingwebsnappers.com. Um, you can also see a lot of those. Uh, you can also see like our faces, of the episode and episodes early if you become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/whalpingwebsnappers. And in addition, that is also where all of our bonus episodes are. So we get yes. Spider Bites where we cover like comics and movies and video games, anything, stuff like that related to Spider-Man. We are and will be covering there. Um, and, if, and you can also uh, listen to our commentary episodes where we cover other, other stuff with our After Dark commentaries at our higher level. So definitely check us out there, patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. If you would like to find us individually, where can we find you, Doug?
1: You can find me on twitter at icky i c k y b o o l e y talking about all kinds of stuff uh current events especially lately and probably still if you like pokemon stuff you can find me on another podcast here on the four eyed radio network called victory road a pokemon podcast where my co-host kyle and i talk about pokemon just as we feel like it we should be talking about the expansions let us know what you think if you're playing them Derek, where can people find you and the things you're working on?
0: Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter.com at Derek B. Gale. I don't know why I said it like that, but just trying something different. Twitter.com. My ad is at Derek B. Gale. Definitely very political right now because of the state of the world. Um, (laughs) But you can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, that looks at bad and or divisive media from a positive lens. If you would like to follow Walloping Web Snappers on social media, we're all over the place at Walloping Web Pod. If you have any thoughts about Spider-Man Unlimited or anything else, any kind of feedback, we, ex- we, we are interested in it. You can email that to us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts to help people find all of our talking about Spider-Man Unlimited, because I'm sure no other podcast is doing that, at least not to the depth that we are. Oh, no. And next week we're going to continue talking about Spider-Man Unlimited as we find a little finally learn a little more about Bromley in the episode Matters of the Heart.
1: Wait till you find out how old he is. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> <realidade> oh, excuse me. Cause studentait- it's the first time I've ever sneezed on a podcast.
0: Oh wow. I know, right? Wow. Right a passage. <laughs> <laughs> Loud motorcycle. Driving down the road, down the road, down the road, down the road, down the motorcycle. Driving down the road, down the road, the road. road. Well, no cycle, try to down the road. the rope, the rope. cycle the road. down the round the road. the the